So we're in a conversation this morning, you and I, uh, that started last week called Here and Now. Uh, we're in a conversation talking about the reality that God is at work in our world around us. That God is here and he's uh, working and, and we're looking at why he sent his son. Why Jesus? Why do we need Jesus? And then next week we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. What is it? What do we need it for? Why is it around? And so uh, we're really just looking at the Trinity. We're looking at God the Father. We're looking at God the Son and we're looking at uh, God the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to talk about God the Son. We're going to talk about Jesus. Just like God, we realize that uh, all of us have this idea of who Jesus is. Most of our idea of who Jesus is is largely based in how you were raised, in culture, uh, media, television. Uh, We love the white Jesus, right, with the long hair and the uh, scruffy beard, like just appropriate. It's not like too much because that's rebellious, but it's not too soft either because he's not tender. It's like this rugged, masculine sort of uh, regardless, uh, when I got here, we had a lot of white Jesus pictures, and uh, I felt a little weird about that. And it's not that we threw them away, we've just stored them for a more appropriate time in human history. Uh, we have this idea of who Jesus is, what he looks like, why he came. Uh, we, we look at this and we go, okay, uh, based on television and, and film and everything, we, we see this Jesus character, and, and we've almost uh, made him into this icon. And, and, and I feel like a lot of times when we look at our view of Jesus and who we really think Jesus is, it doesn't really reflect the Jesus of Scripture. Like, Jesus wasn't a Republican, Don't fight me later. Like, be careful. Jesus wasn't white. Like, there's this idea that he came and he he worked in us and he lived among us. And and, and yet we've sort of misunderstood everything about him and why he came. And we've used Jesus and the scriptures and the stories of Jesus to fit our own agenda. And we did it with the kindest of intentions. And yet, uh, what I realize is that we all have this general idea of who we think he is uh, and, and why he came. And yet, uh, objectively, regardless of your bias, regardless of your worldview, regardless of your filter, objectively, we see that Jesus' impact on our world is astounding. It's remarkable. And no one can deny it regardless of their uh, background or religion. No one can deny that Jesus' impact on our world shaped and changed the world as we know it. His practical impact on the world can be seen in education. It can be seen in science. It can be seen in human rights. It can be seen in women's rights and, 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 and race rights. It can be seen in all of these areas. And so objectively, if Jesus just came told some really interesting stories, left us with the scriptures that would stand the test of time, and it just sort of disappeared, we would see that our world is dramatically different. The way we interact and treat one another, the, the morals that we hold in high regard are dramatically shaped and changed. And we talk about Jesus sometimes so much that uh, we sort of make him into this mythical character. We depersonalize Jesus so often. We read and hear Bible stories so much that we begin to think that there may be more fables. And it's not that we would admit that, especially in a room like this. But we live as if the scriptures are just good stories, they're bedtime stories. We forget that Jesus is and was a real person who walked among the earth, who, who was here for a time and, and had a lot of really remarkable things to say and shaped and changed the world. And everybody loves Jesus. You go across the whole world. You can find everyone from Hindus and, and Buddhists and Muslims and, uh, and Mormons. Everyone loves Jesus until we define him. 
Everybody loves Jesus, but the second you say that Jesus is more than a prophet, more than a teacher, and you actually go as far as to say that he is actually God incarnate, things change. Everyone loves Jesus for his impact on the world. We're a considerably less violent society because of the scriptures. Now, I know we're still pretty violent. we got some work to do on that. But we are less violent. There was a point in time in human history where things were wildly out of control, and, and Jesus stepped in and changed that. We are different. Every major university in both America and England has its roots back to Jesus. Scientific institutions have their roots back to Jesus. We find Martin Luther King Jr. uh, built his platform uh, on the scriptures. We go back to Jesus, that our world has been shaped and changed, but we don't stop there. We don't end there. That's not where Jesus' definition stops for us. We actually take that next step. And in 1 John 4, 10, it says, love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the appropriation for our sins. That Jesus came to satisfy the wrath of God against the sins of humanity. That Jesus didn't just come to have a few good things to say about how we should live and, and encourage us and, 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 and shape and change the world. Jesus didn't come to just give us sage wisdom and advice on how we should live. But he came as God in the flesh to take on the sins of the world and to reconcile us to God through his death on the cross. Jesus cannot just be a really good guy. Jesus is the Almighty, he's the Alpha Omega, he's faithful and true, holy, Emmanuel, Lamb of God, Lord of all, the Messiah, the one who sets us free, he is our hope, he is our peace, he's our Redeemer, he's our rock, he's our salvation. And I think the longer you spend in church and the more time you spend around Jesus and the more of a, a, a bubble we sort of find ourselves in, the more we lose sight of the humanity of who he is. The more we lose sight of why he came and what he came to do. See, there's a great amount of people with head knowledge of Jesus. They know about Jesus. In fact, I would argue that everyone in this room, anyone watching online, you know about Jesus. There are people who know about Jesus but don't have a personal relationship with him. People who appreciate Jesus for what he has done for society, but they have not fallen in love with him for what he has done for them. Meaning we can appreciate Jesus for our education and appreciate him for our science and our humanity. But can we fall in love with him for the reality that he died on the cross for your sins and mine? John 14, 1 says, uh, your heart must not be troubled, believe in God. Jesus says, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I like the word mansion better, but we stick with the Holman. Many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. These are bold words. These are fighting words for uh, anyone who would have heard them in context. Jesus is saying, I'm the way. You know the way because you know me. And if you know me, then you know the way. Who is Jesus? The first thing that I want you to know is that Jesus is the only hope. 
He's the only hope. The essence of all other religions is advice. Christianity is a good news. We've received good news. Other religions say this is what you have to do in order to connect with God. But what we say in Christianity is the gospel says this is what's already been done for you. All you have to do is accept it. It's good news. It's good news because it's been given to us. And in John 14, 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can you imagine someone asking you for directions and you go, I am the way. What is this guy? Feels like pride, doesn't it? I am the truth. I am the life. See, I think some people get this idea that maybe Jesus is being egotistical. We can't describe Jesus without describing what it means for him to be the way, for him to be the truth, for him to be the life. That we realize that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, right? Sins he never committed. That a lot of times we use the word sin because it feels depersonalized. It's, it's like that ambiguous thing that's like, oh, it's sin. Well, I don't sin because, you know, sin, I can define sin. Sin isn't what I do. Sin is what people who end up on Evansville Watch do, right? Sin is this thing. This is sin and, and this, this is just small stuff, you know what I mean? And when we depersonalize ourselves and we don't actually put terminology to sin and we just say sin, then all of a sudden it stops being about the behavior that we actually engage in. That you and I cannot be good enough and we cannot be moral enough on our own. And we find ourselves in a state of sin. And the worst part about it, and this is going to hurt a little, we find ourselves in sin independent of guilt. We all do. I'm not picking on you. We all find ourselves in a state of sin, and we don't feel guilty about it. Why? Because we've depersonalized it. When we start personalizing, we start putting labels and titles on what the scriptures actually describe as sin. It changes the nature of, of, of how we view sin. And if we're not going to feel guilty about it, then we're not going to need a savior. And when we start looking at Jesus, we go, I don't necessarily need Jesus. I'm going to add him to my really wonderful life. But I don't need a savior. I don't need saving. Jesus came and he came to die on the cross for your sin. In my sins, he was the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus came to save us, and guess what? No one else is coming. No one else is coming to save you. Now, I know we love to imagine faith as being this, like, multiple paths up a, a beautiful mountain, and some paths are harder than others, and, uh, you know, oh, you took the north face. Man, wow, that was a tough route. You should have, you know, come over here, and, and it would have been a lot easier for you, but you did it, man. You're here. You're here to God, and I know you took the atheist perspective, but man, you know, uh, here we are, and the reality is there's one way to God, and that's through the person of Jesus, and we can try to color it and, and flower it up and make it more acceptable and palatable because that's what we love to do, just add a little salt so it tastes a little better. But the reality is Jesus is the only way and he's the only truth and he's the only life and no one else is coming for us. Christ is coming back for us, but no one is coming to save us again. And in Matthew 24, 12, Jesus spoke to them again. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Once again, this kind of feels a little prideful. Here Jesus is saying, I'm the way. 
I'm the truth. Now he's saying he's the light. And a lot of people reflect on this and go, well, this is, this is, this is egotistical. Jesus, this egotistical character uh, who, who comes and, and he tells everyone that he's the only way and he's the only life and he's the only uh, light that we can have. And, and we view this as egotistical and yet it would be egotistical if he didn't offer us a pathway to salvation. See, it would be egotistical if he would tell us that he's the way and he's the life and he's the light, but he didn't actually give us the direction, the path or the light. See, if we're all in darkness, and I got a flashlight, I go, hey guys, I got a flashlight. But if I ever turned it on and invited you into light, then it would be power. It would be pride. It would be arrogance on my part. I say, guys, I know the way. I'm not going to tell you. See, Jesus would be prideful if he withheld God from us. But he actually desires to connect us to God. But see, I wonder how many times in the context of Places like this with people like us, do we gatekeep? How often are we the ones that are prideful? I've got all the good news. I know the way. I know the light. I'm not going to tell you. I I know the directions, but you're going to have to be a little more moral in order for me to tell you. I've got the light, but yeah, I don't really like the way you look. I don't like the way you sin. I don't really like the way you've been living. And so I tell you what, you change, and then you can come here. You change, and then I can help you find God. See, I wonder how often we're the ones who put on to God all of these hurdles, and we make other people jump them when God is going, I've already sent you Jesus, and he's the way, and he's the life, and he's the light. And if you'll just come to him, he'll actually connect you to me. And we think that Jesus is prideful, but we only think Jesus is prideful because the only Jesus people see are people like us in rooms like this. We have no place for it here. We're not gatekeepers to the kingdom. We're connectors. We want to bridge the gap. We want to bring in as many people as we can and connect them to Jesus because Jesus loves and he died on the cross for people like us who sin like us. And Jesus didn't come to earth just to stir things up and, and then take off. He's actually coming back. And in John 14, 3, he says, if I go away and I prepare a place for you, guess what? I'm coming back. I'm coming back and I'm going to receive to myself so that where I am you may also be. If Jesus was prideful and arrogant, he would want nothing to do with us. Actually, if Jesus was anything like us, he'd want nothing to do with us, especially for eternity. You ever think about that? I think often, like, I don't know if Jesus wants to spend eternity with me. You know what I mean? I know I wouldn't want to spend eternity with some of you, right? (laughs) So why would Jesus want to spend eternity with me? I'm just kidding. I like most of you. There's this idea. There's this idea. That Jesus doesn't just love us, but he actually is preparing a place. And he wants to bring us with him, and he wants to spend the remainder of eternity, whatever that looks like, with us. And I don't even know if we can fathom what that means, but our time here on earth, it's short. And for some of us, it's a little shorter than others. But there's this idea that if our time is short, then we've got to prepare. We've got to get our hearts ready. We've got to get prepared to spend eternity with Christ. That the end goal is that we spend eternity with God, but in the middle, we've got to take as many people as we can with us. We've got to be the light and the life and the, the, the way to, sh- to point other people. See, you and I are the only Jesus so many people see. 
And if we're out here living, uh, you know, these lives of, of pride and, and arrogance, I know it's not none of us, but some people like us live all these lives and we're blaspheming and we're, we're gossiping and we're spreading rumors and we're, we're doing all of these things, are we reflecting Christ very well? See, I think sometimes people in the world go, I don't want anything to do with that. And yet that's our responsibility. We don't just want to make heaven. We want to take as many people as we can with us. That Jesus didn't come to just save us, be preparing a place for us in eternity. Who is Jesus? Second thing is Jesus is the Son of God. I know that one's obvious to everyone, right? Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, as God's Son, does not simply come to ensure that we understand God, but he actually came, stepped foot into human history to make us know that God understands us. It's not just that we can understand God and see his love and his grace and his compassion. It's that we know that God understands us. See, Jesus, born a virgin birth, lived a regular life. He, I'm guessing diapers and uh, adolescence and puberty. And uh, he was a woodworker. And, you know, there's these things that, that are very normal and very humane and very regular that he did and lived and, and moved like us. And he felt pain and he felt hurt and he felt loss so that he could understand what we go through. He went through life so that he can reflect on what we go through. And God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, allowed his son to come down and be born and to go through this life so that he can let us know that he gets us, he understands us, he, he relates to us. That Jesus is the son of God and he has equal authority and Jesus represents God and he points people to God. And in John 14, 7, Jesus continues with his disciples. He says, if you know me, you'll also know my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, these guys are all clueless, by the way, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time without your knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? There's a lot to unpack, and we won't do that, but what I do want to pull out is just this, this single line that Jesus says, has I been among you all this time without you knowing me? See, I wonder, has Jesus been among us this whole time? You just don't know him. Have we gotten Jesus wrong this entire time? Have we fallen in love with the Jesus of our own making? We've been carving out this idol where he loves the people we love and hates the people we hate and he looks like we look and he doesn't like the people who don't look like we look. And there's this idea that we fall in love with Jesus, but we only fall in love with Jesus when it's a mirror of our own selves. And what Philip is saying is, we got to see God. And he's, Jesus is saying, you're looking at him. It's me. And I've been here the whole time and you just didn't see me. You don't, do you even know me? I think the challenge for all of us this morning, if you hear nothing else, hear this. We've got to make sure we know Jesus for who he is and why he came. That Jesus lived a sinless life, and it's important that we note that. It's important that we note that Jesus lived a sinless life. He was tempted, and he was, uh, could have easily sinned. He had the, the free will to sin, and yet he chose not to. And Jesus was born to die for us, for our sins, for sins he did not commit. And when the Bible talks about sin, it's not just referring to the bad things, right? We get that. Like murder, you know, the big stuff, the, the tax evasion, whatever. We get the big stuff. Jesus also died for the sin of ignoring God and the world that he made for us. Jesus also died for the sin of, of people like us building our identities on anything other than Jesus. See, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of be, building my identity on things apart from Christ. And Jesus died for that sin. Jesus' first temptation was the temptation to be relevant. 
We go into Matthew and we see where uh, Satan is tempting him to turn stones into bread. You're hungry, right? Just turn some stones into bread. Just be relevant. And often we feel the pressure to make Jesus relevant, especially in a world that seems to be rejecting truth. It's like, well, why present truth? Let's present something that the world won't reject. And yet the gospel is not fun and easy. The gospel is challenging and it's difficult. And yet we realize that Jesus didn't come to be relevant. And there's an entire subculture, and there has been for, uh, for quite a while, based around Jesus. I mean, my favorite's the 90s t-shirts that really look like a lot of other things, but now they say like Christian themes. There's a whole subculture. You can buy everything from mints to, uh, to uh, merch, and there's movies and television, and there's a lot of money being made on Jesus, and there's a lot of really interesting and entertaining Bible stories, and it's easy for us to get caught up in the entertainment, and yet Jesus didn't come to entertain us. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, says this about Jesus. He refused to be a stuntman. He didn't come to walk on hot coals or swallow fire or put his hands in the lion's mouth to demonstrate. He had something worthwhile to say. In short, Jesus is enough. And the reality is we can all get behind a Jesus who just wants to be accepted and liked. We can all get behind a Jesus uh, who kind of looks away from our sins or kind of gives us a wink and a nod, and, 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 and yet he just needs to be accepted. He just needs to be liked, and a lot of churches need to fill seats, and so we start to make Jesus this character who just doesn't really care about your sins because they're not that big, and so if you'll just come and, you know, be a part of what's happening and give, of course, then, you know, Jesus will just kind of be a part of your life, and yet that's not why he came. What Jesus does is he comes to lead us to become more. And be leery of anything that's leading you in your life that doesn't become, uh, cause you to become more. If there's anything in your life, any voice in your life that is causing you to be less, be very leery. Because what Jesus does is he steps into our lives and he calls us to be more. And he does that through calling out the way that we live, which makes us less. The more we live like the world, the more we allow culture and, and, and our low morals to shape and change how we behave and treat one another and act and, and, and live and move, we are becoming less and the scriptures know this, and God knew this, and he loved us so much that he was willing to call us out because he knew that we were living beneath our potential. And what Jesus does is he leads us to become more. He could leave us dead in our sins. And yet, he chooses to die for us, to give us life. And what Jesus does is he represents truth and he represents grace. Some people focus more on grace. And let's be honest, that one's the fun one. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I can mess up, and Jesus is just right there to swoop in and forgive me. And so we lean really heavy into grace because that feels really good. And the idea that Jesus forgives easily often leads us to the line of thought that our sin is not really that big because it's easy to get forgiveness. So if it's easy to get forgiveness, then all of a sudden we slide quickly into what's been described as cheap grace. Cheap grace is the grace we often give ourselves. I've messed up. Eh, it's not that big of a deal. David, I'll let you go on this one. Let's not worry about it. And we move on. And a lot of us, because we're independent of guilt, we're independent of guilt because we've given ourselves grace. We've given ourselves forgiveness. And we haven't actually come to God first. Now, there's a step in there where we do forgive ourselves, but it starts with Jesus. And there's this idea that if we slide into cheap grace, we all of a sudden... Uh, push down the weight of sin. And then there are other people who lean heavy into truth. 
right? They're just heavy in the truth, and we beat ourselves up with the gospel, and we beat ourselves up over our sin, and we often think we're not going to receive forgiveness, and we're not going to be good enough to uh, ever be forgiven, and we're just going to keep making the same mistakes, and, and we're not worthy, and let's be honest, we're not. And so we lean into that, and, and the reality is truth without grace is not really truth. And grace without truth is not really grace, that you and I have to walk this beautiful line between truth and grace. We walk this balance where Jesus points out our sin, and that's not fun. But he doesn't condemn us for it, and he gives us a way out of it. He gives us freedom from it. He offers us a clear path, which actually sets us free so we make a mistake. We understand the gravity of that mistake. We take that mistake to Jesus, and we say, please forgive me, and then we move on. You know what's fascinating? The Bible says that God actually removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. So that thing you did that one time that you asked God forgiveness for is still moving into the ether. It's just going as far as the east is from the west. And what happens a lot of times if we lean too heavy into truth is we go, God, hey, remember that time I messed up? And God's going, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, God, I I messed up really big. I made this big mistake. And God's going, I don't know what you're talking about. Because your sin, if you've repented of it, is still moving further and further and further and further away from us. So we have to walk this truth and grace. Pointing out sin and helping people get set free is not popular And yet when we realize what happens on the back end, we find that freedom uh, from sin and and living without having to hide is freeing. The Son of God, he didn't come to be popular in John 14, 10 continues, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. There's a lot of the word believe in this passage. It's going, you gotta believe, you gotta believe, you gotta believe, you gotta believe. So it's truth and grace, but you know what it ends up being more for us is it's, uh, it's truth and trust. For us, more often than not, it's truth and it's trust. You will never accept the truth if you don't, if you don't trust the source. You can call me out in something and I can give you all the evidence possible to prove to you that I didn't do what you think I did. But if you don't trust the source, it won't matter. Jesus comes and he gives you all the evidence that you're dead in your sins and he wants to provide a way out. But if you don't trust the source, you're never going to accept it. So we have truth and grace, but we have truth and trust. And so we have to trust that Jesus is good. And as much as we try to water down the gospel and we try to water down and repackage Jesus to be this really cool guy who asks us not to do bad things but doesn't really care when we do, we are doing ourselves a grave disservice. Jesus is God in the flesh and he came to show us that God loves us and God is for us and God is with us and we invite him into our lives and God is in us. Jesus works in truth and grace. Truth apart from God is nothing. We need Jesus. But we don't need a popular Jesus. It might fill a room like this, and it might bring in a lot of income, and it might cause us to do a lot of uh, really fun things, but we don't need a Jesus that is popular. We need a Jesus who steps in and revolutionizes the world that we live in. The third thing is that Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the bridge. Now, uh, some of you traveled on a bridge. Uh, You guys came from Owensboro, got the bridge. Uh, Terry comes from Henderson. We travel bridges. Without the bridges, you'd have to have like a jet ski or, uh, I don't know, like one of those cool military bridges that fold out. I just imagine fun bridges. There's this idea that bridges connect us. They draw us together. They bring us together. And what Jesus did was he became the bridge. See, God hates sin so much it separates us from him. And without 
a sacrifice. Without a bridge, we wouldn't be able to connect to God. That God rejected his own son so that he could accept you and I. Can you fathom that? Jesus is the bridge that brings us to God. That the death of Jesus allows us to be connected to God in a way that wasn't possible before Jesus. That you and I, we have direct access to Christ We can go to him, and you don't have to uh, go any other way, but we can go directly to God through Jesus. He is our bridge. But Jesus also connects us to the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, 19, it says, In a little while the world will see me no longer. But you see me because I live in you. You'll live too. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. And there's a lot of in things in verse 21. It says, the one who has my commandment and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also love him and will reveal myself to him. A lot to unpack. But there's this idea that Jesus is telling the disciples, you're not, I'm going to be gone, I'm leaving. We know Jesus is gone. We believe that Jesus is gone. And we know that he sent the Holy Spirit in place, and we'll talk about that next week. We'll pick right up there. But Jesus is gone, but he says, you're still going to see me. How? How are we still going to see you if you're gone? You see me because I'm in you. Meaning, you're the only Jesus people see in this world. You're the only light. You're the only love. You're the only pathway that people can see to God. So the question comes back, how are we reflecting Jesus? How are we showing people Jesus? You will see me because I live in you. And if you live in me, then you'll walk with me. And so the challenge for us becomes, how are we reflecting Christ? Are we reflecting some uh, convoluted image of who Jesus is? Are we reflecting some image of Jesus that mirrors us? Are we giving Jesus all of our likes and dislikes and our political opinions and our opinion opinions? And are we doing all of this and projecting it all into Jesus, shaping and forming him and then worshiping that Jesus? Or are we actually getting to know, falling madly and deeply in love and giving our life to the Jesus of scriptures? That Jesus made the first choice to lay down his life for us. Now we have to make the choice to accept him and to live like him. So the ball's in our court. The decision is for us to make. Can I come to the realization that I can't save myself? No one else is going to come and save me. I'm dead in my sins if I continue to follow into a life of sin. I am dead in it, and yet through Jesus, he gives me grace and mercy and forgiveness and life, but not just life here and now, but life abundantly and life in eternity. And because of Jesus, we have this life and we can walk in this life, but some of us prefer darkness, the Bible says. And if that's you, okay, At some point, we all go, light's better than dark. Living in life is better than living in death. And I believe that God is moving heaven and earth to draw you and to get a hold of your heart and he's moving things in place and he's calling you and and, and compelling you. And some of you, the reason you're here is because God's been working on your heart and he's been doing some things and you're like, that's weird, I don't know why that's happening. It's God going, yeah, just come on. Get out of the darkness. It's not great there. Come on to life. And then we don't see Jesus. He's available to us. That Jesus is the only way to God. And if you'll follow, follow him, he'll satisfy you. I know all of us have this God-shaped hole. And we hear this in sermons like this all the time. But when we actually fill that hole, it's within that we look back and go, oh man, I was missing that. I needed that. See, you were designed, created by the great creator. Encoded in our DNA was the desire and the need to be near our creation, our creator. We're the only creation that needs to be near its creator. Designed 
to be near the creator. We're better when we're walking with God. We're better when we're walking in grace and mercy and forgiveness. And yet so many of us want to go our own way, but every choice we make is a declaration of who we say Jesus is in our life. Every choice that we make is a declaration of who we say Jesus is. So we're defining Jesus in real time in our lives by the choices that we make. So I challenge you as I feel the challenge myself to make peace with our creator, to get to know God for who he is, to understand who Jesus is in the scriptures. And let's side our definition of who Jesus is. And let's pick up the scriptural definition. And let's begin to align our lives with him so that we may reflect and model Jesus so that we may see his light and his love projected through us. And I guarantee you, when we become a beacon of light and hope and love as Jesus was, people will begin to gravitate towards him. Not for our own glory, but for God's. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning.